I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. The Big Mermaid. Sebastian, Ariel needs constant supervision, and you're just decrepit. I am no witness, not what? We've got to be bored. Ah! Act quickly. I'm a crab on a mission. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still got it. Let's go! Uh, when I give the signal, rob me! Got it! No, you, you, you! Ah. Ariel! Ariel! Ow! Sorry about that! Ah, get off me, you fool! This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Your father wants you to stay as far away from the human world as possible. Can you help me? Ariel killed the prince yet? No. Kissed your bird brain. Poor child. The sea witch? What has your father told you about me? You like to stir up trouble. I'll make you human for three days. Is that even possible? It's what I do. PG. In theaters May 26th. Sorry, I'd never seen that. That's the trailer? Was somebody forced at gunpoint to make it? Anyway. Imagine a world beneath the sea with an enchanted McDonald's of pure fantasy where the little mermaid's friend Sebastian and Flounder the Fish come to life to grant your holiday wish. Buy a $5 book of McDonald's gift certificates and get a free plush ornament. Either Flounder That's me. or Sebastian. I always knew I'd be famous. From the all-new Disney animated feature, The Little Mermaid. Now in theaters everywhere. So come to McDonald's. Hurry along. Like a true fantasy. It's here then. It's good. I went to the cinema today hoping to see that blockbuster movie where the trident-bearing king of the sea hates the land dwellers for how dangerous they genuinely are to all the life in the oceans and for personal reasons because they robbed him of his lady. And then there's the hot redhead who hooks up with the prince and you just really want to see them kiss and it has that amazing music and that one song in particular that just makes me well up every time. And then there's that amazing performance from the sea hag and the massive battle at the end where she surfaces and you suddenly realize you're watching a kaiju movie and the octopus plays the drums but since aquaman wasn't playing today i went to see disney's photorealistic semi-live action semi-3d animated remake of the little mermaid the 1989 film that kicked off the third renaissance the nostalgia for which has been powering all of these releases since beauty and the beast in 2017 which was only six years ago but feels like so much longer Yep, that song always gets to me. And I'm calling this The Big Mermaid because that's its selling point. It's a big live-action blockbuster and it cost $250 million relative to the original, which was a piffling $40 million. And The Big Lion, which had almost the exact same scale of budget from 90s hand-drawn, traditionally animated original to 2019 photorealistic documentary-style remake, made $1.6 billion based 
based on a combination of nostalgia and mass audiences wanting to see all that money on the big screen. And everyone who wants to talk about films seems to loathe these remakes. You may have noticed, folks. But it doesn't matter what we say, how much we demand Disney stop. They have 1.6 billion reasons to make a Lion King remake prequel and ignore us. Though they should probably have decided to also do the same and ignore enraged Star Wars fans before they made the very reactive Rise of Skywalker in 2019. But I don't want to have to keep tarnishing the good names of the absolute classics these big new films are based on, so I have renamed the remake canon so far to Big Alice, Big Aladdin, Big Dumbo, Big Mulan, Big Cruella, Big Pinocchio, Big Beauty and the Big Beast. And coming soon, we have the following films genuinely on the slate, illustrating how it doesn't matter how many articles are written or YouTube videos are made and podcasts are recorded, begging Disney to stop. They are supplying to a widespread demand from general audiences. And we have... Big Snow White and the Seven Big Dwarves, Big Lilo and Big Stitch, Big Hercules, Big Hunchback, The Big Sword and the Big Stone, Big Cruella 2, The 101 Big Dalmatians, Untitled Prince Anders from Aladdin film, No We Can't Remember Him Either, Big Robin Hood, who's a big fox one assumes, The Big Aristocrats, The Big Aristocats, Big Moana, Big Bambi, Big Mufasa, colon, Lion King Origins, colon, starring the Big James L. Jones AI voice program. Uh, Sharon Willow. Uh, we actually sat down and saw The Little Mermaid. See how it's uh, nice to be able to differentiate these two. The other day, just so that I could kind of refill my head as to, to what the early dis like how disney clawed their way out of the mire that was the 80s now i learned a lot of people are like into basil of baker street the uh the, the rat detective and uh <laughs> i know a lot of people are into mouse detective <laughs> i know but he's detecting a rat That's <laughs> they like basil uh and you know some people have a uh, an affection for oliver and company but it wasn't until the little mermaid that they kind of had the like oh oh we do it like this and then they did for a 10 year period and then they kind of were like oh my god shrek what what do we do chicken little and you know we talked about that on our uh, disney shows but um i think my theory and i hadn't put this in my notes originally my theory is that big slate that i mentioned they're going to get them done in the next three years just churn them out <laughs> Um, and then they're going to be like, what, what do we do? But I know that they've been thinking about this. I mentioned Big Moana. They haven't mentioned Big Tangled yet or Big Frozen, but those will be made too. And the, the Big Princess and the Big Frog. <clears throat> I actually think, and this is not me going, oh, Disney, typical. What they're going to do is they'll animate Cinderella like Frozen. Mm. they'll remake with 3D animation the musicals that everybody loves. And it's like, you're remaking them again? Yeah, we did the live action ones. Now we're going to do animated ones. And people will be like, but The Lion King was animated. You know, there were no humans, but uh, it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. It'll, they'll, they'll do that again. But I feel like that might be the period that we're like, oh, Disney are good again. Like, watching a bit of the sea beast again the other day, I was reminded of the astonishing way that those 3D animated frames were framed. The cinematography in that is better than most live action films. It's astonishing. And 
it still kind of operates in a semi-real world. It looks like a, a more animated Pirates of the Caribbean, if that makes sense. It's brighter, it's more vibrant than those, uh, you know, 2000s films, so everything was kind of dingy. Also, would it be fair to say the Pirates films are gothic? I feel like they are. Yes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, they're due for a comeback, and we did promise we'd talk about them. Anyway, watching a bit of The Sea Beast, I was like, I really hope that The, the Big Mermaid looks like this. The first thing I'll say is, no, it doesn't. Now, I saw it on screen three, which we know is plagued with issues. We saw uh, Big Maleficent there, which is Big Sleeping Beauty. Um, no, wait, sorry. Scratch that. Reverse it. Big Maleficent 2, Big Mistress of Evil, which we... Oh, when I say we saw it. We saw about 19% of the film. The rest was shrouded in this pixely charcoal. It looked like shit, because I couldn't actually see what was going on. Now, my guess is, screen three, the big screen, the only rival by screen eight at our local Odeon, has been calibrated wrong. So it, it throws out, I'm gonna guess something like 4K, but you know when you don't calibrate a 4K TV properly and yeah. it looks like garbage? It's not just us that's noticed this, by the way. I was um, reading through some uh, Facebook pages the other day uh, with local people on right. them, And a couple were talking about the fact that the Odeon screens are not good. Yeah, no, they are not. Uh, not enough reason to uh, pay to go to the everyman at, the, at those prices, but it means that when I come back from movies like Shang-Chi, I'm going to talk about the soupy-looking finale, when, when it all goes to CG, and my god, the fact that I was thinking about Aquaman, that is a beautifully shot film. <laughs> James Wan and the cinematographer Don Burgess. He of Forrest Gump, Castaway, The Conjuring 2 and Contact. So he's worked with Zemeckis a lot. Oh yes, he did Pinocchio as well. The cinematographer for Aquaman did Pinocchio, which looked fine. You know, I, I never had scenarios where I was like, I can't see shit. But he wasn't asked to do the cinematography for Little Mermaid. Big Pinocchio you're talking about. Sorry, yes, Big Pinocchio which ironically started out on Disney Plus. But we can say Big Pinocchio to differentiate it from Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. That's and what I was trying to differentiate. Father, I want to go out on my own Pinocchio. Skidoo, 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 skidoo Pinocchio. Yeah. So who did make The Big Mermaid? Uh, it was directed by Rob Marshall of Chicago, Memoirs of a Geisha, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Do you remember which one that one was? Four. Well done. Which had the... Mermaid. Mermaids in it. It also made a billion dollars. And uh, Into the Woods, which did really, really well. And Mary Poppins Returns, which we really, really like. So, Rob Marshall, directing. Uh, cinematographer Dion Bean, who photographed Equilibrium, which is fucking awful. Collateral, which is amazing. <laughs> Memoirs of a Geisha, eh. Green Lantern, and that's what made me realise, oh, we've actually talked about him before, because Edge of Tomorrow, Into the Woods, Mary Poppins Returns. This film, at least the way I saw it, and, and write in, folks, if, if you saw it differently, is dark as shit. You know, uh, Ariel's like, oh, I, I want to live on the land. I'm like, get out of the sea, Ariel. It's a dark grey soup. It looks terrible. <clears throat> I was looking at scenes, and I'm like, this is a sunken pirate galleon. It should have shafts of moonlight coming through. It should have like glittering motes of, of, of kicked up sand that look like dust. It should look amazing. It should look 
and it doesn't look. <laughs> I can't see it. I saw a shadow moving behind a shadow. There's a bit, you know that, that shot, the classic shot where Ariel goes into the ship and flounders nervous and then like the shadow of a shark swims past. A shadow can't fall on a shadow. So I was like, I think that's the shadow of a shark. But it was inside some charcoal grey. Now, it's a design choice. It's nothing to do with the actress. But the colour of Ariel's hair is red. Now, there's a way to make it look like it's a fucking Halloween wig. And frankly, I feel like the Aquaman, uh, for all of its qualities, threw Mira too far towards that. But then you look at the Justice League film, it doesn't look at its best. And it's wildly different from the bright red. But I feel like there was a... It looks really dull. And then it looks like a Sasha Banks wig. And somewhere in the middle is kind of an ideal shade of bright red that still looks alive and it's coming it's coming out of this girl's head and it's kind of her passion flowing out of her but instead it's i mean it just it's her hair there's one point where the sea witch calls her red and i'm like oh in this world this is red okay it seems odd to complain about a mermaid's hair not being red but it is the mermaid with the most fame like the second most famous redhead ever after jessica rabbit <laughs> Which, by the way, was like a year before this. I'm assuming that part of their rationale was, if you look at red hair through water, this mm. is actually what it looks like. Oh yeah, like. They, they absolutely want to make everything look realistic. So if you were in a pirate ship wreck underwater, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't be able, be able to, to see, see anything. anything. It's brilliant. Because they're, like, like they're, they're like Jacques Cousteau taking us underwater and going, no, you cannot see anything. There is shadow over here, and uh, over here you have some grey. There may be fish, they may not be. But you will not see them. Because here we are in the Marianas Trench, where light cannot enter. <laughs> I've fucking seen underwater photography. I've seen it look stunning. You can do better than this. Even if you're trying to be realistic. And also, if we're really striving for realism here, you know how people said that the Lion King looked like they, they took real lions and taught them to somehow speak and sing, and so it looks uncanny, but in a kind of a dull way. If we really are gonna hold to absolute realism, then halfway through this movie, Ariel becomes human, deep underwater, and then in her rush to the surface, either drowns or gets the bends. <laughs> Wherein her lungs implode. Ariel gets the bend. <laughs> That's if absolute <laughs> adherence to realism is your number one remit. Also, y yes. Ursula is a deep sea creature, mm -hmm. which means if Ariel was at the level of a deep sea creature, mm -hmm. if she was turned into a human yep. so quickly, yep. her bones Pressure. would be crushed. Bones! But that's the thing. This is a movie where fish play musical instruments, so we don't think about that. Unless, that is, the fish don't play musical instruments. Do the fish play musical instruments? No, they're just kind of like, they're there, they're moving, it, they're, they're dancing. It's a no, well, it's, it's... 
play the flute. No, he doesn't. The cop play the hop. Unrealistic. The players play the bass. Nope. And they sound the jump. They sound like nothing. The bass play the brass. Bass can't play brass. The chub play the tub. The chub plays nothing. The flute is the duke of soul. Yeah. If you say so, we are still awaiting evidence. The way he can play. No, he can't. The knees on the strings. No, they're not. The chub rocking up. Uh -uh. The blackfish is singing. New. His belt and his front, they know where it's at. If they do, it's not animated. And all that blowfish blow! This they did remember to do. A blowfish goes near Ariel and puffs up. He's not blowing on a saxophone, but there's a blowfish that blows himself. Oh, no, no, I'm not in the group yet. No, I'm afraid I just blew myself. There's gotta be a better way to say that. A musical crab who looks like a real crab and is voiced by David Diggs, who was George Washington, and is voiced by David Thomas Diggs, Jefferson. and is voiced by David Diggs, who played Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton brilliantly. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We fought for these ideals, we shouldn't settle for less. These are wise words, enterprising men quote them. Don't act surprised, you guys, cause I wrote them. Ow, but Hamilton forgets. His plan would have the government assume state debts. Now place your bets as to who that benefits. The very seat of government where Hamilton sits. Not true. Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it. If New York's in debt, why should Virginia bear it? Uh, our debts are paid, I'm afraid. Don't tax the South, because we got it made in the shade. Virginia... Does sing to Ariel, and notably, the Under the Sea song is the one that is lit the most fantastically. It's like, they're like, we will give a tiny concession to the colours and vibrancy of the old film this one time. But after that, we are going back to, it looks like Taken Underwater. Michael... Ariel, you're going to be taken. My question to them yep. is why... You would even make big movies. These are animated movies for children. You do not want to make it duller and go, oh, but look at these great graphics. I can't, I can't see them, Dad. See, here's the thing. Aquaman had the octopus that plays the drums and it made a billion dollars. So it's almost like, what have you got to lose, Disney? If people come up, no, it wasn't believable. Then you, you then say to them, it's, it's a, a movie. Mermaid. Where a mermaid asks a crab for help. Okay, okay, listen to me. The human world is a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got going on up there. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you. Right here on the ocean floor Such wonderful things surround you What more is you looking for? Under the sea Under the sea Darling, it's better Don't wear it's wetter Take it from me Up on the shore they work all day Out in the sun they slave away While we devoting full time to floating Under the sea Down here all the fish is happy As off through the waves they roll The fish on the land ain't happy They sad cause they in the bowl But fish in the bowl is lucky They in for a worse of fate One day when the boss get hungry Guess who gon' be on the plate? Oh no! Under the sea Under the sea 
Nobody beat us, fry us and eat us in fricassee. <laughs> we want the land, folks love to cook. Under the sea, we off the hook. We got no troubles, life is the bubbles. Under the under sea, the hey, sea. under the sea. Under the yes, sea. child, it's like the sweet here. We go to beat here naturally. Even the sturgeon and the ray, they get the urge and start to play. We got the spirit, you got to hear it under the sea. Watch this. The newt play the flute, the cock play the harp, the bass play the bass and they sounding sharp. The bass play the brass, the chop play the top. The flute is the duke of soul. Yeah, the ray he can play the lings on the strings. The trout rocking out the blackfish. He sing the smelt and the spread. They know where he's at. And all that blowfish blow. And then a seagull helps them, and sadly it was not Lorraine Bracco, the seagull from uh, Big Pinocchio, going, Oh, I'm helping again! I'm glad it wasn't. It was Aquafina doing a similar kind of voice, and slight correction, Scuttle is a diving bird, very specifically a gannet. There was a point where she was like, Okay, Ariel, see you later, hon. And I was like, Is she, is she on the phone? I, I really like you know those that thing about phoned-in performances, and I've said Aquafina is never bad in anything. Mm. Like she's not bad in this, but this is the most she uncommitted. She's yeah. Rachel, these people aren't just rich, okay? They're crazy rich. Yeah, but Nick's not like that. Even if he isn't, I guarantee you the family is. Tonight, you need to not look like Sebastian of the Little Mermaid. Oh, she actually mentioned it's Little. It's very gritty. Well, the sand everywhere. Does that count? <laughs> I think it might have just been the insult of being asked to play Scuttle. Yeah, she was. I, I don't know. She did, did really well in Wire on the Last Dragon. Uh, she's not given much to work with. Her delivery sounds like well, the guy who played Scuttle said these words, so I guess I'll say them. And a lot of people in this film deliver the words like, well, it's a slight reworking of how it was said before, or it's the exact words said before, so I guess I'll, I'll just say them. They never say them from inside. Mm. The performance is not coming from them. Although maybe I'm just saying that because we're getting a combination of repeated dialogue delivered in a far less broad, less cartoonish style. Sebastian, for example, is less of a caricature of a Jamaican. So some of the directions they went in are actually of benefit, which is why it's so frustrating that the rest aren't. It's like the Mulan film. Finally, it's an epic wushu. But then there's everything else to do with that live-action Mulan. I watched a fantastic video by Accented Cinema on the difference between the 90s original and the remake, specifically to Asians that he knows. Chinese animation was pretty much in the gutter back then. Spring of 1999, 
Our elementary school trip brought us to the local cinema to see Mulan. I figured it's probably just a 1960 adaptation or something. To my surprise, a Disney logo appears on the big screen. Every kid in the theater gasped. We were ecstatic, and it was every bit as beautiful as I hoped. It has some questionable racial depictions, although I guess the hunts aren't around anymore. And I heard people say it's a watered-down version of the story. Then again, Chinese people love to say that to everything. None of that matters, because for the first time, I feel represented in a cartoon. My culture, my favorite story, on the big screen. And I'm just a dude. I can't imagine how powerful it must have felt to a young girl. Here, the film made a statement that women in any practical situation can be just as capable as any other man. Mulan learns to be masculine. And this represents strength. She is capable of harnessing strength and power, traits that traditionally are valued by men. But what's more interesting is the second way the film empowers women by empowering femininity. Now, this sounds strange because at first glance, Mulan isn't very feminine. She is a tomboy and a failed bride, but she's also not good at masculinity, being extremely awkward at pretending to be a man. That's because those are extreme versions of gender expression. Femininity means submission, masculinity means aggression. In a sense, Mulan's journey is to embrace her own gender expression. She succeeds in doing traditionally masculine tasks by refusing to engage in hypermasculinity, rejecting the value of brute strength. Instead, she is able to overcome her challenge by using clever solutions on multiple occasions. And her friends learn from her too. They start off as hyper-angry, hyper-masculine men, but by the end are willing to be in drag to save the Emperor. There is strength on both sides, and there is strength in not limiting one with either extreme. Mulan 2020 follows largely the same basic plot, but with a few critical differences. Difference number one, Mulan is now a naturally gifted fighter. This is such an awful decision. Instead of seeing Mulan growing alongside her friends, letting us know that women are as capable as men, now only the select few who are blessed by the gods have the privilege of catching up with men. Those who aren't so gifted, like Mulan's unnecessary sister character, well, she gets married at the end of the film. I am matched. Imagine you are a young girl with confident issues. You watched Mulan 2020, then you go back to school and see other girls who are prettier than you, who are better at sports than you. Instead of saying you are just as capable with enough perseverance, no, they are Mulan, and you are just the sister now. Sorry, not everyone is special. Difference number two. In the animation, Mulan is a problem solver. Mulan finds her way to the top using her wit instead of brute strength. And I have to emphasize this, she's the only one to make it. Mulan is able to solve this problem because she can think outside the box, without indulging in hypermasculinity, where strength and brute force are valued. The live-action version of this scene has Mulan climbing the mountain with two buckets of water. How does she solve this problem? 
Mulan simply does the many things better than men through sheer strength and willpower. But what angers me the most is the third critical difference: the reason Mulan wanting to save the emperor. Her fight is to literally uphold the conservative hierarchy, because in her story she's treated fine as a woman. This conservative value of loyalty and honor is something that the people of China have abandoned and detest ever since the collapse of the feudal system. We have a word for that: devotion to family. It's called yu fu. Mulan doesn't challenge the status quo. You can still take the noble path. She is the status quo, perpetuating the notion that just because one supernaturally gifted woman is respected, then all women are respected. Gender equality achieved. So that video is Mulan: A Case of Failed Empowerment by Accented Cinema. Subscribe to his channel. He's fantastic. If you tried to make Sebastian look like that now, people would go, "That's some racist shit, man." So you've got to you've you've got to meet them halfway. Like, there's some midpoint between super realistic flounder who looks like something like ah ah, fry that thing up with butter, cut its head off and bring it back, then we'll talk. Poor little guy's vo flounder's voiced by Jacob、J、Tremblay. Who's a really great little kid actor,、um, but he doesn't get much to do because he's flounder.、Uh, there, there's many, many times when I was like, I, I, I've, I've paid attention to the frames of animation of that film so much over the years. Little notes that Howard Ashman gave Jodie Benson when she sang that. Think of yourself working more with, more intimately, working more intimately with Robbie or with the mic or with. Okay. Whatever, but think of it as a smaller room. Okay. You may even want less light. <laughs> you、okay. may want to just feel a little bit more enclosed. I want to be where the people are. But you don't. It doesn't need a lot of breath to keep it down. I want to see. Keep it down. There. So not as breathy, but yet not high quality. Like you're talking right now.、Yeah. Okay. I want to be where the people are. I want to see. Want to see 'em dancing. By the way, the performance is fabulous. But, I understand. But by Make the it way, more intimate yeah, instead of standing in front of the La Fontaine Theater trying to sing to fifteen hundred people. Side note: I didn't realize we had this thing in common, but this is how I direct my voice actors. It's good. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's not、um, protected. Keep it. I'm going to try one more, even more using more of the tomboyish quality. No. Okay. Not not getting up into into the higher、uh, feeling at all. Try. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Keep it real straight. I mean, every little thing that you do is huge. Everything. Okay. Is so it's like any every little breath you take is enormous. Everything is is everything registers. All that emotion and then not letting it all. Not letting it all. Not letting it all. But having it here. When's it my turn? Wouldn't I love that stuff? Really. It's. Was, I'm, am I still a little too loud? You're great. Oh, better than. You're, you're great,、better. but you are.、Okay. It gets a little bright in here. That, what would I give if I could live out of these waters? The intensity、mm -hmm. is better than. What would I give is better than than noise. Than, yeah,、right. but they're not doing that from them. It's but it's it's inner intensity. So、happening. even more, not as singing,、mm -hmm. basically. I'm just、so、trying to make my voice. Set you in the space. Once you just stop thinking about yeah, well, anything yeah. except you and it. What would I give if I could live out of these waters? He was like, you know, just what would I give 
if I could live. And I just very strongly remember that bit where he was instructing her to put performance into the singing rather than super professional soprano oomph into there. Intimacy with us over projecting to us. Now, a word on Ariel, played by Halle Bailey, She's doing a really good Jodie Benson when speaking. There are times I could have closed my eyes and gone, it is so clear this girl cares so much about being Ariel. So I cannot fault her for the flaws of this movie. Her performance is one of the things that I've seen universally praised. There we go. I've honestly, I have not checked out any reviews at all. I didn't want to know. I wanted to go in and be able to see if I could pick up on things that were being said. And she puts in quite a physical performance. But because Rob Marshall seems to have forgotten how to direct little details, like she never sort of like really talks to Flounder. You know, that that sort of like the way that Ariel and Flounder get eye to eye in the original film and, and, and how that film invites you in. It's not showing off. Superficially, you could point to this and point to Avatar The Way of Water and say, well, they're the same. They'll do the same financially. But James Cameron knows how to pull in to his actors' faces, even if they are made of CG, to invite you in and those intimate moments are shared with each other and with the audience. And also, not for nothing, James Cameron made the billions showing the sea, showing Pandora, really like lighting it in blue and green and pink. People like the pretty colors. And the coral and the fish, they like the sea. Why you no show the sea? Reprimand the 
As the opening was happening, and you sort of you go down towards the palace, that very famous shot in the the original, I'm like, we've cut several times and sort of moved in and shown coral and like stuff, and I'm like, rather than a big establishing shot where sort of we just hold for a moment on the grandeur, it's like, have you seen this coral over here? And over there, there's a fish. I'm like, is it a CG fish or a real fish? It's impossible to tell. I suppose that's good. Is it good. talking? It's probably CG. I mean, none of them are talking. <laughs> and notably, you know, the, the the original film starts with that sort of big recital where it's like, Miss Crustaceous Sebastian! And then, like, he starts up the orchestra. And I pointed out before that, like, Ariel not being in that clam in the original, that is not on Sebastian. It's not even real. I mean, it's on Ariel, but whoever was the fucking prompter... Your stage manager. Your stage manager would be like, right, is Ariel inside her clam? If not, we don't even start the show. Someone goes out and says quietly to Sebastian, Ariel's not in there. We've got to cut to a different number that doesn't involve Ariel. But it's her musical debut. And it's like, yeah, but we can't just bring the clam up and open it and have everyone gasp. (laughs) She's not doing like a... David Blaine is she where she's down in that clam for days and it's like you stay down in that clam and think about how good you are at singing I'm doing a Sebastian voice that has got to be racist people dangling McDonald's anyway instead of that King Triton played by Javier Bardem sort of settles onto his sea throne and goes my daughters and then sort of points to various girls of different ethnicities from the seven seas and he's like I only wish Actually, he doesn't say your various mothers could be here to see you. But, like, he's like, and then where is the seventh, the Ariel? And then we cut to that. So there isn't that big gathering of mer people. Are there um, any songs in this movie? Because it sounds like oh, yeah. No, no. Not only are there all the songs, apart from the big French number, which you were like, this is so obnoxiously oh, racist. Oh, oh. Is there les poissons, les poissons? <laughs> oh. It's, that was so racist, it made me laugh. Yeah, it was so racist. Uh, racist Sebastian was like, I'm the less racist thing on screen right now in terms of, of caricatures. But that's gone, and the character's gone. And there's a couple of new songs uh, which were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I could tell 
when they started rapping, there's a point where Aquafina and uh, Diggs start going back and forth, and I'm like, no, 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 please keep going on. I want to see Sebastian and Scuttle actually rapping, and then it stopped, and I was like, oh, for God's more. The what's his name? The guy with the hair and the shirt? The prince. Yeah, the prince has been dropping hints. He wants to, you know when humans dress all nice like they're penguins? Throw rice for the pigeons. They're trying to blow up the pigeons, but those are just urban legends. I know a lot of really fat pigeons. Scuttle well, life. you just listen, Sebastian, I got that scuttlebutt. Hurry up. You'll be like, why when I drop that scuttlebutt? Okay, now huddle up, buttercup. From the women who wash all the clothes, to the hunter who arrows the bows, the chatter all over the palace is that your Prince Eric is gonna propose. What? To somebody nobody knows. They're saying he suddenly chose. Who? Who? He's selling an owl. Owl. Bet it's the kid with the new set of toes. No. Oh, yes. Anything goes. Who never guessed? Our little Ariel's marriage material. Time for the rice and the dress and the what do you call it? The thing with the lips when they press. I don't have lips. I have a beak, so I guess I could give you a peck on the cheek. I don't believe it. Say, you're awfully quiet. Oh, yeah. So, uh, what now? Let's go, let's go, let's go! Can you believe the scuttlebutt? Get dressed, child. You're welcome for the scuttlebutt. We got a lot of work to do before sundown. This is, this is, scuttlebutt, scuttlebutt, hey! Oh, please, let this be the day. Let's go, let's go, let's go! We got it! The gossip, the buzz, the who said what, who does that? Yeah, I told you so, let's go, let's go, let's go! We gotta go before the sun go down. What? Gotta get her ready for the big showdown. Right. Go ahead and get her out of bed and get her ready for the wedding. Set the setting so we can't slow down the and honestly, the highlight of the film for me was a, a new song that Ariel sings without singing. When she's new on land, and she's like, you know, this is the first time I've done this. The first time since forever. She's like, you know, this is the first time I've ever put my foot on a, some sand and stuff. And she, first she's, time I've ever had a foot. First time I've ever had, you know, first time I've ever, you know, um, tasted soap. And I, it's, a, it's a really lovely song, and, and, and Hallie looks like she's singing even though her mouth isn't moving and then like you're actually he hearing her voice it's an internal song and there's one point where she actually does start singing and rob marshall's like well i just need you to know folks that this is an abstraction so i'm going to make the background black it's like that bit in did anyone see the shape of water no okay better mermaid film than this anyway <laughs> And so, like, that happens. And again, like, when Rob Marshall absolutely must, he will let abstraction occur in a Broadway musical. Mm. But black background, no fancy colours. No, 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 no. I feel like it was some kind of way to save budget. Like, if we make... Oh, yeah, $250 million. <laughs> If we make sure none of the fish sing, then we save, what, five bucks? Well, look, we don't want to be unrealistic, Willow. Seahorses don't actually sing. Crabs sing, but not seahorses. Let's move the talking sea witch and the mermaid and King Triton and his six other daughters and, you know, everything else about that movie out of the way. There is, a, me. There is a point where Ariel kind of settles on a load of jellyfish and they're like a big comfy chair and I'm like, Oh, she would be getting stung to death at this point. Oh, is that realistic? Well, it is, Willow, or she'd be dead. So clearly, she was fine. <laughs> Maybe she's immune? I'd love it if this entire movie was a love note to a certain mansplainer in the cinema. <laughs> that just was way too into the ocean. Like, really into uh... the ocean. Crabs do not sing. And they definitely don't play little musical instruments. That's mental. Jonah Hua King plays Eric, and he's been in nothing, and he wants to explore. 
and he's a white dude. And you were like, I really am not a massive fan of Eric. He's stupid. Even though he's voiced <laughs> by um, Spider-Man from the 90s, Christopher Daniel Barnes, AKA Greg Brady. Like, work it out, mate. Seriously. <laughs> I can't believe I have to share my far out pad with my sister. Come on, she's right there, but he's just too... Like, the dog works it out, but Eric is too stupid. All the princes are. Yeah. But, like, you could definitely see that the animated characters had chemistry. And, and even just Eric's voice and her not being able to talk, you, there was a yearning and a longing in every single frame. That was going to be one of my questions. What is the chemistry between Eric and Ariel? Because there has to be chemistry. If she cannot talk, he cannot just go, Oh, yeah, you're very pretty. Um, what am I meant to do here? My question to you, Willow, is does there have to be chemistry? Yes! Why? Because! He's a white guy. He just sort of, he's there. Because he, he I'll, just I'll tell you why. about, like, because best friend. Otherwise, we have <laughs> zero so investment in this story that we know how mm. it ends. Yeah. Oh, um, no, there's no chemistry between the two of them at all. She Excellent. tries her best. Mm. But she, his casting was terrible. And I'll tell you for why. Because when he started singing a song suddenly about how he wants to explore uncharted waters, Rob Marshall seems to have forgotten how to direct musicals. And he started with Chicago, which beat the two towers. So it must have been quite good. And nobody else liked Mary Poppins Return, but we fucking loved it. Sorry for swearing. Well, you're the one who gets to swear all year. <laughs> You know when like when the, the, the I want song happens and you show the person's face? This one was like, well, you know, there's his back. He's he's over there, he's on that cliff and it's dark. And then we sort of move around him and then we kept to get to that point of the song where he's sort of singing, I don't care, and then like we then show his face, but already he doesn't look good singing, and it's so you don't want us to engage with your lead hero, and he has no chemistry with the girl. Why is he here? <laughs> He looks what a good question. like Aidan Gillen, Littlefinger. Ew. Who makes you, make, that makes you think Ew. this man is 52 years old. Ew! And horrible! And but nothing against Aidan Gillen, but that character is a nightmare. Yeah, he's a nightmare. But I mean, this actor is only actually 28 years old. And I'm just wondering how many other actors turned up that didn't get the job? And I was watching him singing on the rigging, and I was like, oh my god, I could just work, worked out who would have played the best Prince Eric, and would have actually had really great, I know he'd have had great chemistry with this Ariel, because he can want things too, in a way that makes us want them. But he's also sweet and kind, and that there's a point at the beginning where he sort of mucks in with the other sailors, and, and, and you'd believe that that came from the heart. Tom Holland. Mm. I you knew thought you of were it. Gonna say him, he yeah. can sing. He can dance. He can jump around in pants. Oh, he He's can dance, fantastic. <laughs> he really is. And yes. what was Tom Holland doing that was so important that Disney couldn't yoke him in and get him onto that rigging and singing about wanting to sail uncharted waters? <laughs> All I ever wanted was the open sea and sky, freedom from the life I always knew. Now all I am is haunted as days and hours roll by All I ever think about is you There you are, over me Taking me with your song To wide uncharted waters Miles beyond the sea 
I was darkness bound, I had almost drowned Till you came around and you found me Now I am on the shoreline But I'm still lost at sea In these wild uncharted waters Come find me again I do is wonder who you are and where you'll be In my mind your melody goes on Stronger than the undertow the night you've rescued me Silhouetted by the rising dawn Ooh, Over you I cannot get over you In wild uncharted waters Beyond where man can see when your eyes outshine the horizon line And you're finally real here beside me Now I'm right here on the shoreline I'm right where you left me And your voice is like a siren that guides me To wild uncharted waters Alone just you God. And the only reason I will accept this as a, actually, I know we put a pin in Tom Holland and then we apologized. We were keeping him for Quasimodo. And it's like, if you're not going to have Taron Egerton, but you want him to play Quasimodo in your, your big hunchback, that I'll accept. I'll look forward to seeing him sing and, and, and do out there. This guy is a fucking crumpet. Something. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called anyone that before, but he is using a... that in the wrong context no. as well. Uh, not in the British slang term. Don't look it up, folks. Uh, but no, he is a crumpet of an actor, and he could be brilliant in other things later on. I've, I've often said of people, oh, they were rubbish, and then they turn out to be brilliant elsewhere. But uh, at this point, it, with this to work with, I didn't like Prince Eric. And the, the the more he was on screen, the less I felt like Ariel deserved him. And that he deserved Ariel. Yes, Will? The thing that's really important about Eric is that while he is the biggest himbo on the planet, mm -hmm. he is also very passionate and also very sweet. He's meant to be a nice person that Ariel has some sort of connection with. Mm. From what I'm hearing, nothing. He cannot just be ditzy. He needs to be some kind of strong but also exhausted because he's got all of these responsibilities of being a prince and getting married and being frustrated that he has to plan out his entire life before he does anything he wants to do. He does have other things to work with in this. Uh, his mother, uh, she is played by Noma Dumezweni and she was the headmistress in The Kid, the kid Who Would Be King, do you remember that? She was like, right, we're all going to learn how to be knights. 
she's pretty good. She she plays Selena, the isolationist Caribbean queen. Like, I think it's in the Caribbean, and I immediately thought of the Billy Ocean song, Caribbean Queen. And she's an isolationist. She's scared of the sea. She's like, everyone on this island is of colour. And I'm like, it's pretty cool. Like, you're in the Caribbean, and apart from... Oh, and even Grimsby is played by Art Malik. Everyone's of colour except Eric. And apparently he washed up on shore. Start your frozen fan theories here, by the way. But yeah, no, he's, 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 he's a baby they found. And, and, and she, like originally, when I said we saw uh, The Little Mermaid the other day, I said the Ariel singing above him moment kind of makes it feel like Eric is kind of missing his mum because his attachment to her borders on obsession. His mum is actually the Triton equivalent saying, don't go anywhere near the sea. And he's like, we were trying to bring quinine to the island. They use it in Europe to cure malaria. And she's like, I don't care about your science. Anyone who uses the sea at all ends up at the bottom of it. They happen to live right next to Shipwreck Cove, which has 718 wrecks in it. And it's like, you know, you could just erect something to stop ships hitting it. I mean, some sort of light on a house that's quite tall. I don't know. But like, she's like, no, don't go near the sea. And it's like, isn't this the maritime age? Which isolationist nation is she queen of? Anyway, she's trying to pressure him into marrying, but marrying inland, if possible. Did they include the butler for like a second? Oh yeah, uh, Grimsby is there, and he is sort of like, oh, that girl's pretty nice. She, she gets introduced to him in a different way, so they don't even have the meet-cute on the beach, where she they meets don't. him again and she tries to talk to like. They have the bit where he sees her singing over him, but they worked out, clearly, that if they have this girl turn up on the beach, she can then just mime, it was me, I was here, on the beach, doing this thing, and then kind of get it across to him, using mime. Instead, she gets picked up by a fisherman, and then kind of taken to the palace, given a dress, and then sort of dumped on the prince. And then he's like, oh, oh, what's her name? And they're like, she doesn't speak. And he's like, I can't have been her then. And I'm like, oh, f oh. He also gets a save the dog moment. I mean, it is his dog, but <laughs> it's it's something. She says he's very kind as a result. And well, she tries to. You know when she's hanging on the side of the ship and looking at him, he's very handsome. And there's that beautiful shot and she's looking at him. Well, here they have her like resting in a lifeboat because otherwise she's going to have to be doing fucking pull-ups to stay on the side of a ship. And they're like, let's address that physics issue. And it's all about physics, it's, Dad. The Why physics are get... very important. We must update this thing. And she's watching him, and, you know, he's boring. And he doesn't even get given the statue, or if he did, that it was like a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment. Like, that whole thing about, mm, don't really want to be a prince, that was kind of important. Like, the statue's there, because it definitely falls off the boat, and it's definitely a, a big thing. So she's watching him, and at the point when he's like, Grimsby, I need to... I want to explore. Like, the shot is sort of his knee in the dark. And the award for best cinematography goes to... 
And then we cut back to Ariel's face, or like, the lights shining off of Ariel's eyes, and I'm like, I can almost see her elbows as she sort of sits and looks up at him. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe they'll patch in uh, visibility later to this particular one. Uh, maybe that's something you can do these days. We want to give you this award. Uh, not you. The knee. <laughs> And the award for Best Knee 2023 goes to... Michael B. Jordan for Creed 3. Sorry, Jonah, there's no need for you. You were only an appendage. This must have put a cap on your day. You know, honestly, this bit got away from me, and I think that may have been the meanest I've ever been to any one person who wasn't Mark Wahlberg. I don't know Jonah Howard King, and I would not envy him this position. In this case, much like Hayden Christensen and indeed Jake Lloyd, I blame whoever made the casting decision. So probably Rob Marshall, who failed to elicit a likable performance out of him. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it would that it were so simple. Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Keep your head still. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Trippingly. Would that it were so simple. Trippingly. No, don't say trippingly. Say the line trippingly. Also, Javier Bardem as the dad. Questionable casting choice. I don't know if you've met Javier Bardem. He's terrifying. And the bit where, like, Ariel comes back and he's found out about the whole, you know, that she fancies a human. Like, the, the grotto is darker than usual and he's looming above her in the darkness. And he's like, You have been fraternizing with humans. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to kill her. <laughs> I mean, he has like several other daughters. He's just gonna flip a coin. Call it. I can't call it for you, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and like, the, the shot is like Ariel looking up, terrified, and the, tri the trident shadow I could just about make out on her face as he descends, and I'm like, get out of here. This man is a monster, Ariel. Ariel has been very bad. Oh my god. <laughs> Triton is explosively <sighs> angry and menacing, but only in the way of a disappointed and overbearing dad that's terrified of losing his daughter yeah. to very angry and violent humans. They show that scene, and then as she goes away crying, it dwells on Triton going, Oh god, I've really done it now. As in, like, in the original, The Little Mermaid. And, like, even kids can go, I was really scared as he was, like, smashing that stuff, but I can kind of understand it because they're using very basic language and we're staying with Triton as opposed to this is absolutely terrifyingly shot. And then there is Ursula the Sea Witch, played by Melissa McCarthy. And having seen Melissa McCarthy turn up in uh, roles where she was kind of overplayed, I have seen her in roles where I fucking loved Melissa McCarthy and I've gone, oh god, why are you here? In, say, her cameo in Thor Love and Thunder. And honestly, one of the high points. Hey! Her voice. One might question your upbringing and she's actually really vamping on it. The only thing is, you can barely see this classic Disney villainess who's doing her big dance and like, you know, it's it's already storyboarded for you guys. It's right there. But they're like, well, maybe have her float really far away so she's small over there and then have the voice come from God knows where. 
Ursula should dominate the screen. She's massive. Use that to her advantage. Put us in Ariel's position. Quaking in our fins, but nonetheless hypnotized. Not on a ride at Disney watching 3D fireworks flying around the place. Once again, this version of the film lacks intimacy. This song and this sequence was key. Same as part of your world. And you started crying because I reminded you that before they were even verbal, Willow watched this in their playpen and started crying at the part of your world song because it's just so beautifully animated and rendered and so heartfully delivered that even if you didn't understand the words, you got the sense of wanting a thing and not having it, which obviously as a baby is a very basic emotion. I don't need to be an empath to know that yeah. Ariel really wanted that. Yeah. Of course, Jeffrey Katzenberg famously went, yeah, get rid of it. The kid in front of me was kicking his chair. And there are times when I think they may have used neon lights on set because they kind of, like her tentacles have like lighting underneath and it sort of, it lights her face. I think accidentally the cinematographer didn't intend for that. And occasionally you'll actually get a shot of Melissa McCarthy with her hair kind of floating in the Aquaman way. And honestly, she's pretty great. Not as good as the original Ursula, but in terms of people trying to replicate what we've already seen before, Melissa McCarthy was like, well, this is perfect. Let me see if I can get that. It would be like if I was gonna do Gollum, we would go for the Andy Circus, as opposed to just, I'm gonna be the guy who does Gollum in the Gollum game. I'm just gonna do my own thing. And that's gonna be just as good. Like ultimately, if, if an actor has found the perfect way of doing it, and I so rarely use the P word, there kind of isn't any improving on that version of Ursula. So well done, Melissa, for holding it together in a villainous role, which was supposed to be overblown and was actually held in at just the right points. It felt like a measured tribute. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me, well, a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways. Repentance in the light and made a switch. True. Yes. And I fortunately know a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh, I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. One longing to be thinner. That one wants to get the girl, and do I help him? Yes, indeed. Those powerful souls, so sad, so true. They come flocking to my cauldron, crying spells, Ursula, please, and I help them. Yes, I do. Now it's happened once or twice. Someone couldn't pay the price. And I'm afraid I had to rake them across the coals. Yes, I've had the odd complaint. But on the whole, I've been a saint. To those unfortunate souls. So here's the deal. 
I'll whip up a little potion to make you human for three days. Got that? Three days. Before the sun sets on the third day, you and Princey must share a kiss. And not just any kiss. A kiss of true love. If you do, you will remain human permanently. But if you don't, you'll turn back into a mermaid. And you belong to me. We got a deal? I don't know. Life's full of tough choices, isn't it? No. This is wrong. I can't do this. Fine, then! Forget about the world and love! Go back home to Daddy! And never leave again! Come on, you Very busy woman, and I haven't got all day. It won't cost much. Just your voice. It's true. If you want to cross the bridge, my sweet, you've got to pay the toll. Pluck a scare from off your tail, or drop a blood inside the bowl. Got some depths, and now I got a voice. The boss is on a roll. This pole. Of the Caspian Sea. Amnesia Gorsitis, that Max Langitis, love to me. couple of things. During the end of that sequence, they had to work overtime to make Ursula putting her magical tendrils down Ariel's throat to pull her voice out not look like tentacle hentai. Also, my bar for expectation on lighting may be somewhat skewed, having studied the John Wick series over the past few weeks for next week's show, but I checked on YouTube, and yet that appears to be the lighting scheme I saw in the cinema. Though I did also notice that in terms of sidekicks, they depersonalized Flotsam and Jetsam. Gone are the <laughs> evil eels. Now they're just personality-free, malevolent, hanging back some way, not thinking for themselves. By no means the crime that was bestowed upon the big Aladdin, big Iago, but still another absence for a big jazzy villain sidekick. And we honestly haven't had many of them for a long, long while. I miss them. 
I suppose the Magikoopa Kamek in the Super Mario Brothers movie qualifies, but Bowser kept torturing him. <laughs> I can't take it anymore! If I gotta choke down on one more of those moldy, disgusting crackers! Bam! Whack! Calm yourself, Soon I will be Sultan, not that adult-pated twitch. And then I stop the crackers down his throat. <laughs> so let's hear the chemistry between Iago and Jafar in 2019's Big Aladdin. You are already second only to the Sultan. Second? Uh-oh. Who's in trouble now? And you think second is enough? Of course. You were not born to be Sultan. Not smart. Do you know what I had to do to get the power that I have? The sacrifices that I've made, the bodies that I've buried, the five years spent in a Shirabad jail. People need to understand that they will pay for underestimating me. Second is not enough, and it will never be enough. That's why I need a lamp, and why I no longer need you. So the astonishing Jafar in Aladdin, played by Jonathan Freeman. The idea has merit. Yes, merit, yes! And then we drop Papa-in-law and the little woman off a cliff. Yeah! Her splash! <laughs> I love the way your foul little mind works. And then Jafar in Big Aladdin, played by another crumpet. You bring me the rough, but never a diamond. Take them away. Take them away. Yeah, in comparison there, Melissa McCarthy's Ursula is a goddamn cinematic triumph. Again, the, the direction and cinematography do not make the most of what they have. Cross the board. Actually, they did kind of address one thing that uh, we pointed out back in the original. For one thing they didn't do, as well as that the French chef is gone, the little grotty old previous mer people who are all kind of little worm thing creatures, that's been done away with. There are lots of mermaid skeletons knocking around Ursula's place. So it, you know, it, it, it means that they don't have to, she doesn't have to point to, you know, her garden of mer people who are all terrified and like, you know, illustrate to Ariel, this is what you'll become if you can't get your thing. Because Ariel will be like, well, I don't want to do that. That's, that seems like too much of a risk and you seem cruel and crazy. Uh, no, instead Ariel swims over the bones of her dead people and goes, and this is fine. In terms of we've created a solution to a problem that wasn't there in the first place, it's also up there with Ursula makes Ariel forget that she has to kiss the prince. So like a part of like a secret part of like the, the, the fine print on this particular deal is that she's forgotten she has to kiss him by the third day, or even that seemingly that there's a time limit. And every time Sebastian tells her, she just goes meh and just blanks it out. And it just it doesn't get across. So it's like, oh, okay, so this this is a, sort of a solution to the problem of why doesn't Ariel just run over to him? act all super sultry and then he kisses her and then that sorts the problem immediately. And it doesn't, it never had to be true love's kiss. Did it have to be true love's kiss? I believe it did. Oh, okay, well, no, they, they never mentioned true love either. So uh, he just has to kiss her apparently. But she's forgotten that she needs that. Uh, so it's lucky that they have absolutely no chemistry because otherwise if you told me that you had a teenage girl who was so incredibly hot for this one guy and was willing to change her entire being Legs. to be with him 
And that if she was next to him, she wouldn't be like giving him the eyes the whole time to the point, oh my God, she's doing it to me. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and she's a redhead too. My thing for redheads began here and with Jessica Rabbit. So thank me too. So thank you, <laughs> the animators of these two most famous redheads. Unfortunately, in solving this one problem that didn't exist, they then create a whole bunch of new ones insofar as Ariel herself is a mute character who's kind of directionless for the second half of this movie. They confer the anxiety over the ticking time limit to Sebastian, the crab. He becomes the one who has to worry. She doesn't even have a goal. Technically, she's got it. She just wanted to be among the humans. However, Tripass pointed out on our Discord that back in the original Little Mermaid, Triton tries to destroy the contract, but it doesn't work because it's legally binding. Even Ursula has to abide by it. Ergo, making Ariel not remember the terms of the deal should nullify the contract automatically. This is from the same harebrained thinking as we have to show why all the servants in Beauty and the Beast turned into China and ornaments and became the Beast's toilet. It was really their fault for sticking by him. But one improvement that is worthy of note. For that big action sequence where Prince Eric like stabs Ursula with a ship, it's actually Ariel who does that, does that this time. Prince Eric does the whole like throwing a harpoon and nicking her shoulder and then Ariel's the one who, who goes aha and sees the ship coming in and, and swims in and gets to the place with the wheel and, and works out when and where to turn it in order to plunge the prow directly into Ursula so she doesn't end up as a, a, a waif you know the, the little worm creature in fact King Triton straight up dies when uh, when Ursula gets the trident from him. He sort of crumbles to see dust and just falls into the abyss. And Ariel's like, Dad, gone. And um, it's going to be really difficult for Ariel to get him back. Actually, it's going to be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Yeah, she just needs to get the trident. Okay. There you go. But then when he turns her into a human at the end, in a sort of how much I'm going to miss her way. Like, they have a nice chemistry together. I love you, Daddy at the very end here, above the water, they're both well lit. Frankly, when it got to the land, I was like, oh, thank God, daylight. We then look back, and there's all these mer people there, and they're all singing, now we can walk, now we can run. And there's like a, a little mer child there waving, and all the sisters and brothers, and there's like a mer dude, and he's pretty cut, and I'm like, you mean to tell me you had 75 mer people right frickin' there, and you didn't show them till now? Where were these people? The whole, like, isn't the point of this that it's not Eric she's really after. It's she's changing her world. She's stuff. with yeah. the fish people, but she wants to be with the land people. That's why it makes such a fantastic trans allegory, because she doesn't feel right in her body. And Eric is just the thing that pushes her over the edge to know, you know, I have wanted to be here for so long and now I am gonna do it. Like, he's the thing that sort of sets the fire under her. And they do kind of get that across in the song that she sings to herself. But if you don't show the Mer people, it's just this family of mostly mute and absent sisters, King Triton, and a crab. It's a very small world. So for a film that cost $250 million versus the 40 million, it actually seems so much smaller and more piddly than what they managed back in the day. I'm just, I'm amazed. 
I am ama I am continuously amazed at how Disney manages to de-epic these things. They take what we think we've seen and they turn it into what we actually see. Does that make sense? Mm. Like before it was a magic trick, now it's a science. Well, it's it seems less like a science and more like a what we want to do is strip out all of that pesky imagination stuff. And again, abstraction. One of the reasons why the Broadway musicals were very, very popular, and obviously it's a sort of snake eating its tail because they were taking the Broadway musical style and turning a Disney into a Broadway musical, which fit its runtime and act structure really, really well throughout that 10-year period, and then continued to do so in some of the more recent films like Frozen and Moana. In particular, Moana. In terms of watery films, Moana is one of the most staggeringly beautiful. As, as I said at the time, it might be the most beautiful film I've seen of all time. And then they came along with this and went, well, we'll have none of that, thank you very much. The way The Lion King is done on Broadway, they can't do the big animated sequence. They have to show you things that represent giraffes. They, haven't, they can't get all of these live animals in. They have to show you people in costumes and people holding puppets and people with hats on that represent lions. And they give you the feel of the Lion King. So watching the Lion King on Broadway, while it's 450 bucks to do it, feels more like an intense viewing of the Lion King in a dreamlike way that you've never really had before. And I wish we could go back, but I cannot justify the expense. Except for the fact that we need to show Willow. <laughs> Can we just see, send you to see it on your own? Ah, uh, I don't think they'd let that happen. <laughs> I think you're almost old enough now to be sent to see a musical on your Todd. Anyway. No, I think they just, they wouldn't. It's too scary for a little girl like me. <laughs> <laughs> but what the, the live action remakes do is go the opposite direction and go, but yeah, but imagine if a lion could talk and sing. And they're not very passionate about it because that again is an abstraction. It's almost like They've listened to the people who are like entirely practical about absolutely everything and let them decide on all the moves. And again, there's nothing I can do to make it stop. There's nothing any of us can do. And the people want this. Clearly people, it's, it's fulfilling something. It's scratching some kind of itch. And they'll keep doing it. My hope is simply that we get to this next phase sooner rather than later. Like they've got to, like I was thinking as I was watching, because this thing goes on and on. They, they, they keep each scene longer than it has to be. And it's, it's not like there's way too much Eric. My God, he, ugh, crumpet. <laughs> you just swear you're using that word wrong. But he's an Eccles cake. Then. There we go. That works. Because <laughs> nobody is going to know what that means, but. I know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you took a piece of pastry that you hated and you stuffed it with sultanas until it died. <laughs> Folks, you're welcome to the one person out there who went, oh my God, Eccles! Anyway, <laughs> I will not be doing that for anyone else. Anyway. What time is it, Eccles? Uh, just a minute, I, I got it written down here on a piece of paper. <laughs> a nice man wrote the time down for me this morning. Ah, then why do you carry it around with you, Eccles? 
Well, I'm anybody asked me the time. I can show it to them. Wait a minute, Echoes, my good man. What is it, fellow? It's written on this bit of paper. What is eight o'clock is written? I know that, my good fellow. That's right. Um, when I asked a fellow to write it down, it was eight o'clock. Well, then, supposing when somebody asks you the time, it isn't eight o'clock. Well, then I don't show it to them. Yeah. Well, how do you know when it's eight o'clock? I got it written down on a piece of paper. Oh, God. Yeah, so I was just thinking as I was just passing the time in my head going, like, Disney moving stages. When did this phase start when it went from... Because when we began our Disney look back, mm. it was kind of at the peak of their renaissance, their, their, their 2000s renaissance. But then they kind of fell off slowly, the last really excellent film being Moana in 2016. So, yeah, it's, it's been since 2016. Mm. But I was wondering how long this one's going to last until they suddenly get good again. There, there was a period of overlap where they were still making, like, your Moanas and your uh, uh, Raya and the Last Dragons, and the, the live actions were going on in parallel as, like, a, these are a, a secondary branch. I think Cruella was the turning point of this is what we do now. So it's Jungle Book to Mermaid was 1967 to 1989. That was 22 years of not quite knowing what to do, which in modern terms is an astonishing amount of time. The post-Walt years, the cat, dog and mouse period. Yeah. There was all the, uh, the Xerox process, a much cheaper way of doing animation. And they were able to sort of limp along yeah. with the Disney Channel and Winnie the Pooh and Robin Hood and Rescuers. And That's a generation of audience aging out. That's what I was thinking about generations. Because that's why you restart when the kids who saw the original Cinderella... Bring their kids in. Sorry, the original whatever. Cinderella. The, the original remake of Cinderella by Ken Branagh, which is actually really good, and I don't call that Big Cinderella, because it's actually the really good Cinderella, better than the original, and none of them are that good. Um, maybe Maleficent, actually. Honestly? Maleficent might be better than Sleeping Beauty. Ain't no might be about it. It is. Okay, it is. That means we've got to cover them both now. Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll, we'll give them each a show because they deserve to be highlighted mm -hmm. and separated out from the big list. From the bigs, yeah. <clears throat> I know a lot of people are like, I liked Cruella and I'm not going to apologise. You don't have to apologise. Absolutely. We're not really saying that these are universally bad, mm. but it's the, it's the fact that they are re-churning old material. And in fact, if anything, Cruella might be slightly more permitted to be included with Cinderella and Maleficent because they changed so much about, yeah. about the original story. Yeah. But your Beauty and the Beasts and from the sounds of things, your Little Mermaids and uh, like... Big Mermaids. Big Mermaids, sorry. Be big Beauty and the Big Beast. Yeah. Um, Lion King. Very big Lion. little, superficially, is actually changed. Superficial is the word. that they don't really have... A, a new story that they want to tell. The story in Cinderella is a new story that we did not get in the original. The story in Maleficent is a new story and 
like I say, Cruella is a new story. The rest of them, not really. Maybe Alice, but that's just a mess. So for those keeping score, Jungle Book to Little Mermaid, 22 years. Mermaid to Tarzan, 10 years. It's what Disney fans call the Renaissance, but it's, to me, the third Renaissance. First one being their first output, the, the original five, including Fantasia. You can expect a live-action, photorealistic Fantasia with mushrooms that dance, but don't do t anything too over the top. Okay. Technically, though, you can't call that a Renaissance because it's a naissance. A Renaissance is a reboot. Why didn't you tell me that back in the original? <laughs> Okay, so the first renaissance was Cinderella through to Jungle Book. So that was 1950 to 67. That was a 17-year period with all those classics like you know, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, mm. Sword in the Stone, Lady and the Tramp, and uh, Sleeping Beauty. And that was the ink and paint years when they were really trying, but also the, uh, they, they then had to go to the Xerox period while Walt was still alive with Dalmatians. So that was a renaissance, I think. That was a rebirth after the war years where they were kind of in, in a... Holding pattern. Holding pattern, yeah. So the second renaissance of the uh, 90s, 10 years, almost to the year, almost precisely, Little Mermaid to Tarzan in 1999, 10 years. Over that period, Hollywood Pictures, a subsidiary of Disney and Touchstone, also put out Gross Point Blank. 10 years, man! 10, 10 years! 10 years! 10! 10 years! 10 years! Then Fantasia 2000, which came out in 99, all the way to The Princess and the Frog, 10 years later in 2009, a period of what the hell are we doing? 10 years, man! And then Princess and the Frog to Moana, only seven years there. But that also encompassed Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, some really fantastic films. Tangled, I love Tangled. That, that was a real, that was the third renaissance then. But then Moana was 2016, to now, that is the same seven years. So maybe three more years of this for their, like, for their standard 10 years of wilderness. And then in 2026, something's going to happen. A change of leadership, a change of direction. I mean, it's enough time for them to kind of get into some kind of rhythm regarding Disney+. Plus Because th this will be known as the Disney Plus period where everything became content. And regards all of these live action remakes, I was originally going to do a show where we went back and watched all of these mm, yeah. but here's the thing they kept getting released so thick and fast that the list of films we had to watch was growing and it was becoming this massive project and there was so little to really get out of them that was new and different yeah. each film and that's that's the thing and we've, we've already done, done the finer points of all the originals yeah we've done the disney series the with, little films we've done the disney series with dan yeah ultimately what it comes down to is are there any of these big remakes that have more meat on them for us to get our teeth into that we haven't already thoroughly done in the in the earlier shows. Yeah. Stick around for the end of the show, folks. You never know what you'll miss if you don't. Just time to thank our $15 sponsors, who get a big thank you along with the rest of our patrons every episode. So many thanks to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clawson, Joe Gluck, 
Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vaihi, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Haskell, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Hayo, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Okay, we're going to do one more thing, which is something faintly paid homage to in the film, which is the original Hans Christian Andersen ending of The Little Mermaid. To do this, Sharon's going to read the Wikipedia synopsis of what Andersen's book played out like. The Little Mermaid lives in an underwater kingdom with her widowed father, the Sea King, her dowager grandmother and her five older sisters, each of whom had been born one year apart. When a mermaid turns 15, she is permitted to swim to the surface for the first time to catch a glimpse of the world above. When the sisters became old enough, uh, become old enough, each of them visits the upper world one at a time every 365 days. As each returns, the little mermaid listens longingly to their various descriptions of the world inhabited by human beings. When the little mermaid's turn comes, she rises up to the surface, watches a birthday celebration being held on a ship in honour of a handsome prince and falls in love with him from a safe distance. Then a violent storm hits, sinking the ship, and the little mermaid saves the prince from drowning. She delivers him unconscious to the shore near a temple. Here the little mermaid waits until a young woman from the temple and her ladies-in-waiting find him. To her dismay, the prince never sees the little mermaid or even realises that it was she who had originally saved his life. Right, so he credits the woman who turns up to take him off the beach as the woman who saved his life. Possibly. The Little Mermaid becomes melancholic and asks her grandmother if humans can live forever. Her grandmother explains that humans have a much shorter lifespan than mermaids, who live for 300 years, but that they have an eternal soul that lives on in heaven, while mermaids turn to sea foam at death and cease to exist. The Little Mermaid, longing for the prince and an eternal soul, visits the sea witch who lives in a dangerous part of the ocean. The witch willingly helps her by selling her a potion that gives her legs in exchange for her voice, as the Little Mermaid has the most enchanting voice in the entire world. The witch warns the Little Mermaid that once she becomes a human, she will never be able to return to the sea. Consuming the potion will make her feel as if a sword is being passed through her body. When she recovers, she will have two human legs and will be able to dance like no human has ever danced before. Oh, that's new. However, she will constantly oh. feel as if she is walking on sharp knives. Moreover she, moreover, she will obtain a soul only if she wins the love of the prince and marries him, for then a part of his soul will flow into her. Otherwise, Why wasn't she walking on sharp knives all the time in the Disney one? Either of them. Otherwise, at dawn on the first day after he marries someone else, the Little Mermaid will die with a broken heart and dissolve into sea foam upon the waves. After she agrees to the arrangement, the Little Mermaid swims up to the surface near the prince's castle and drinks the potion. The liquid feels like a sword piercing her body and she passes out on the shore naked. She is found by the prince, who is mesmerised by her beauty and grace. Yeah, I know what he was mesmerised by. <laughs> Even though he discovers that she is mute. Most of all, he likes to see her dance, and she dances for him despite suffering excruciating pain. She dances for him despite suffering excruciating pain with every step. Soon the little mermaid. I hate this prince, by the way. Soon the little mermaid becomes the prince's favourite companion and accompanies him on many of his outings, but he does not fall in love with her at all. When the prince's parents encourage him to marry the neighbouring so princess... They do, they do capture that in this. Yeah. Even though she is charming and lovely, mm. he is not falling for her whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, and to address something I said 
before they're going to have to add new lyrics to kiss the girl of like get consent and kiss the girl they actually did add use your voice ask her ah nice which is kind of a, a way of saying tell her you're going to like ask her with your voice out loud rather than just jumping on her and going nah. mm, use your words himbo <laughs> percussion encourage him to marry the neighbouring princess in an arranged marriage, the prince tells the little mermaid he will not because he does not love the princess. He goes on to say that he can... I will not! I will not! He goes on to say that he can only love the young woman from the temple who he believes rescued him. You are correct. It turns out that the princess from the neighbouring kingdom was the temple woman as she had been sent to the temple for her education. The prince declares his love for her and the royal wedding is announced at once. What are the freaking odds? The prince and princess celebrate their new marriage aboard a wedding ship and the little mermaid's heart breaks. She thinks of all she has sacrificed and all the pain she has endured for the prince. She despairs thinking of the death that awaits her but before dawn her sisters rise out of the water and bring her a dagger that the sea witch has given them in exchange for their long beautiful hair. If the little mermaid kills the prince and lets his blood drip on her feet she will become a mermaid once more all her suffering will end and she will live out her full life in the ocean with her family however the little mermaid this is a horror 
movie! You've got to kill the prince. By the way, we've shaved our heads bald for this, so you better do it. However, the Little Mermaid cannot bring herself to kill the sleeping prince lying with his new wife, and she throws the dagger and herself off the ship into the water just as dawn breaks. Risking it all, only to fall back where I started. Back near the shore, back to before. You took my hand Bet you on land They understand And they don't strand you broken hearted What did I give to live where you are? Where do I go with nowhere to turn to? Her body dissolves into foam, but instead of ceasing to exist, she feels the warm sun and discovers that she is turned into a luminous and ethereal earthbound spirit, a daughter of the air. As the Little Mermaid ascends into the atmosphere, she is greeted by other daughters who tell her she has become like them because she strove with all her heart to obtain an immortal soul. Because of her selflessness, she is given the chance to earn her own soul by doing good deeds for mankind for 300 years, and she will one day rise up into heaven. Is this a metaphor for girl don't sacrifice everything you know and love only for more pain for a chance to get it with this guy? Yes, yes That's it is. That's awesome, I love And that. the fact that the conclusion is get your soul yourself through your actions By rather than convincing somebody to fall in love with you. What would is... Jesus or Spider-Man do? Exactly. It's 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 kind of I mean there is also an element of girls Spider being Spider Jesus. I love that guy. <laughs> there is also an element of girls being industrious and worthy which can go and bite one, but it was 1837. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Sharon. You're welcome. Most fairy tales are more horrifying than the Disney adaptations. You don't say. <laughs> The Grimm brothers were, as their name recalls, Grimm. Did Christian Anderson was better. No, Grimm did not do Little Mermaid. No, I was going to say, did Grimm come from their stories? I was a bit grim. <laughs> Let us know, folks. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the original Little Mermaid story, even though it is very, very sad at the end, because it's kind of not sad because she has this opportunity for redemption. And I really like uh, The Ugly Duckling, which is another one of Hans Christian. Also, from the Middle English, Grim, Grem, from the Old English, Grimu, Grima, Grima, Grimu, from Proto-Germanic, Grimi, Anger, Wrath, from Proto-Indo-European, Grem, to resound, Thunder, Grumble, Roar, Cognate with Middle Dutch, Grimma, Middle High German, Grimma, Modern German, Grim. <laughs> Most of these are spelled the same. So it's not that the name came from them, it was just very, very appropriate. Yes. <laughs> also, I really like that that tale isn't, uh, it's not a happy ending, but it's, it's also, bittersweet. It's bittersweet. We love those. And it's rejecting, finalizing decisions. Um, Extremes. Yeah. Oh, it reminds yeah. me as well of uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio, where he's, you know, has to actually, like, he keeps coming back. He and, has to go on. Oh, I would say I want Del Toro's Little Mermaid, but I think we kind of got that already. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs>
Never trust a man. <laughs> Anything else? Meh. In the meantime, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And I've been Willow Shaw. And Mermaid School is out. <laughs>
Gravity feels like an eye.